Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the very busy voice of combat sports, Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good, Ken. You look great as usual. I see you Thank popping you, one of your energy um, little capsules a minute ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, don't worry. We don't have Vada. No, you know what I really should say? Don't worry. We do have Vada. And your pass. Your pass. <laughs> There's no failing with Vada, no. I, you know, and and not only that, they have to ask you permission. Uh, may <laughs> I please uh, test you uh, before this uh, ten million, twenty million, forty million dollar fight, uh, where we would hate to have outside influence, you know, of something in your bloodstream. But you know, if you say no, get the hell out of here. Then okay, fine. You know, you're good. Just. Um, Make sure that you don't walk around in the dark because that <laughs> might you might glow and yep. the glowing might might be a giveaway a little bit. But um, no, I know we we got good products that we uh, that we have from these uh, good sponsors that we have. Yeah, that's a feel free the botanic tonics that I drink before the show. It's a kava based. Um, botanical drink at uh, botanictonics.com uh it's feel free if you go there you can this wasn't a planned ad read but you can go there and use the promo code atlas and they'll give you 40 percent off your first purchase i love these things i drink them before big workouts and before we record the show it helps with mental focus but teddy i know speaking of mental focus you had probably the busiest weekend that we've had in uh, Honestly, I think this might have been the busiest weekend that I've ever seen. There was fight. There were fights on Friday night. There was a Bellator card that we won't, that we won't necessarily get into. But there was fights all day Saturday, starting over in um, the UK with the Mick Conlon fight. Uh, sorry, the Warrington fight. Uh, Lopez. Then the, then Mick Conlon was in action. We had a huge UFC card. We had Terence Crawford in action. Tiafimo Lopez. You're, you're taking liberty. You're taking liberty with that Conlon fight, saying action. hundred uh, percent. You're taking one li- hundred. I agree, hundred percent. It's uh, we'll get into it. <laughs> we'll get into it. I mean, we're we're waste two minutes on it. Yeah, and that's fair. <laughs> that's the. I'm sorry. We you know we talk the way we talk here. You know, um, in in a genuine way. Well, let's get in into that, that one right now. Mick, Mick Conlon beat the brakes off someone that wasn't qualified to be a sparring partner. From no offense to, um, I gotta check the name here. No no offense to um, Kareem Gurphy, but to get in there in the first round, put that uh, air muffs on and just take a beating from Mick Conlon. I, I, I don't know what was accomplished with this from from either side other than a paycheck. Well, all you need to know, yeah, well, that's what it was. I mean, Conlon looks like he was promoting his own show over there. Uh, I saw Conlon promotions on the ring on the ring ropes. Oh, there were a um, few half-ass so, productions this weekend. Uh, yeah, so, you know, they and look, he made a lot of money. He Obviously, they didn't have to pay him, that guy, much. And um, just his doctor bills, you know. And he, um, I mean, they had a full house, which is usual over, over across the pond, whether it's in England or Ireland. Um, I'm not even sure where the fight took place because, I mean, I had no interest in it other than this is what we do. We report on everything, you know, even shadow boxing and uh, slap boxing or whatever the heck. Fight from Belf was from, uh, was in Belfast. Northern yeah, I figured Island. that. And listen, it was a great crowd. Um, you know, a nice little extra something in Conlon's stockings before Christmas. But uh, it was, 
It was, like I said, it, we already wasted too much time talking about it. All I can say is Gorfiri, Gorfi, he'd been knocked out five times, and he uh, he was 31-7, and seven, nine knockouts, so he can't break an egg. Knocked out five times, and he got hurt in the body in the first round, about 45 seconds in. And then uh, after he got hurt in the body, he went against the ropes. Conlon, not a puncher, but, you know, he opened up with everything. I mean, Conlon, he he could have, you know, he could have, he could have, uh, uh, he's not, like I said, he's not a puncher, but in this case, all he had to do was hurt him in the body, drive him to the ropes, and most of the punches were being blocked, but he just put a barrage of punches on him. You know, he rained down punches on uh, Gurphy, who was against the ropes, and then Gurphy just collapsed. And then uh, that was it. The, the Guinness was pouring from the stouts. All right, next up, let's. we've got so many fights to cover. We're just going to jump from one to the other. Uh, Luis Lopez in with Josh Warrington. Lopez gets a uh, majority decision, 115-113 on two scorecards, 114-114 on the third. Um, I love this fight. This was a good action fight, back and forth. Super close for um, Lopez to get the win in England. You had to think he looked a lot better than Josh Warrington. I would imagine Josh Warrington's getting all the close rounds over there. Um, how'd you like that fight? Yeah, let me give this one. And that that, that that fight that fight was in uh, Leeds, England. Um, kind great of a home, crowd, of course. Yeah, great, great, great crowd. Home crowd for um, Josh Warrington. But like they I said, always have great crowds over there. The Brits. Always come out for their boxing. Yeah, and anytime and you get a back there, man. And anytime you get a British fighter fighting in the UK against a Mexican fighter, you gotta believe that um, the Mexican fighter probably has to do a little bit more than usual to win. It shouldn't be the case, but we all know it is. And uh, I love the fight; it was awesome, incredible no, it was action. A good fight. Listen, I it started my day with the tweeting, you know, with uh, Brennan Wood and Ian Mackey and Rob Moore. Brennan uh, did most of the work and. He was the one who was on deck on this particular day. My guys, you never know who's in the baddest box. I'll tell you this, Teddy. After doing your tweets, he's probably more educated on the sport than a lot of the announcers I heard over the weekend. With all of these shows going on, holy cow, were there some bad commentary, bad commentary going on. Yeah, was, including was, the Manny Pacquiao, the uh, ring announcer, who I think might have been uh, having a few drinks before he got in there, but we'll get into that later. That was, it was, it was, a sad situation, to be quite frank. Um, it was it was like watching Jerry Springer rerun for sure. But Lopez Warrington, uh, like I said, another tremendous crowd atmosphere across the pond. And despite England playing the same time in the World Cup, the people came out. Uh, they lost to France, by the way, in the World Cup. So my uh, my condolences to the uh, great Brit fans over there that you lost and uh, you didn't get a chance to go to the semifinal. Uh, now you know how Ken feels every year as the Patriots uh, get knocked out of the <laughs> playoffs every year. Uh, ever since uh, Mr. Brady uh, took his talent south. Have you seen uh, the standings for the NHL and the NBA? You don't even have to look. Bruins number one in the league, Celtics number one. We got more titles coming home this year. 
Good comeback, good comeback, kid. You you work on that? <laughs> yeah, you were ready. You were ready. I like to see people uh, that are ready. I tell you, talk about being ready. Not this week, but the week before. What a another one in the books for the comeback in the fourth quarter for Brady. Good I mean, Lord. how how good is that guy? It's, uh, it's I crazy. mean, against the Saints. Against the Saints, he comes back yeah. and scores two touchdowns. I think with about four minutes left. Well, Whatever it was. Speaking of comebacks, how about Baker Mayfield gets traded? He he was oh, he, I don't even think he went to a single practice that's, with the Rams. Like Comes a, in in the end and wins like a, a game. Hollywood story. Oh, that was beautiful. That's crazy. And I'm not a huge that Baker was, Mayfield was, fan, but man, that was a that was an incredible incredible comeback. Think about no, a guy doesn't no, even know what the play calls are. He, I mean, I I was talking to my kids the incredible, other day. Incredible, really was. Just talk about a quarterback. <clears throat> There's so much knowledge to know. Like what makes Brady so good. He's probably the least athletic of all the quarterbacks out there. He can a he can throw the ball, but b he's like a coach on the field. He knows what the defense is doing before they know what they're doing. That's yeah, the key. Well. So a quarterback, well, he's he got good eyes, and he's like a fighter, like Crawford, who has good eyes. But he's got good eyes. He sees everything downfield, and he slows everything down. Where everything's going fast for someone else, it's going slow for him. And uh, he's calm in an uncommon environment, as I always say about. About boxing, but um, that's what made the Mayfield comeback so crazy. Though he didn't even have time to really practice with the team. Incredible. He was come off the bench. Quarterback goes down, big next man up, and he just comes in and, and orchestrates a drive to win a game in the NFL. Yeah, it's just unheard of. Inc- uh, that was incredible. I wasn't crying for the other team, <laughs> <laughs> but you know uh, those things Gish, happen. Yep. Um, but anyway, getting back to Lopez Warrington, as you said. Uh, great fight. You know, what I love about the atmospheres over there, uh, Ken, is that they feel like a soccer atmosphere. You know, and I was talking about the World Cup earlier with the singing, and that's really the difference between here and there with crowds for the most part. Their fights become nationalistic with pride of, you know, representing their country. Our fights, for the most part, are just fights where... It's the fans of the fighter, you know, they're representing that, but they are not out there representing a, a country. And that's why you get that passion and that really, really special feeling that you get over there when you see those fights uh, in the United Kingdom. Um, the only thing you get anything close to that every once in a while over here, Ken, is when Canelo fights. And the uh, great Latino fans, you know, they come out and they they pack a place, but... Obviously, many of them are represented Mexico, but um, the atmosphere was just was tremendous. Warrington, two-time featherweight champ, defending versus Lopez. Lopez was the bigger puncher and the wider one, for the most part. Although he fought a good fight, he got a little better as the, you know, with his punches putting them together. But there were a lot of opportunities for. Warrington to punch inside of some of those wider punches of Lopez. He did a little bit, but he missed the boat on some of it. Um, but Warrington, his strength was, he wasn't as busy, but Warrington, the more accurate puncher, more conservative, more deliberate. As, the, as I said, Lopez got out to a lead, being a busier guy, did a good job of putting punches together. There were there were a lot of chances for Warrington uh, 
to do a little bit more where he could, like I said, punch inside some of those fat shots. Uh, I don't think he did quite enough. And the jab was important. And Warrington, although when he did throw the jab, jab he he landed it accurately. He didn't use it enough. I think at the end of the night, I think I tweeted actually, Ken, that if he loses his fight, he's going to regret not having used his jab more. Um, and I think that did cost him. Uh, Lopez was was out hustling him busier all night until the very late rounds came. That's when it got very interesting. Uh, Warrington really came on like a freight train, like a champion. Uh, he, he found also, he found a home all night inside with his left hook. He was landing the left hook. I was I was thinking, if I'm in the corner, I know he's landing that left hook cleanly, Warrington. I'm going to tell him, put a quick right hand with it, kind of like Crawford did later that night when he landed the uppercut and put a quick right hook with it. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it harkens back to what my mentor, Customato, used to always say to me until I had it coming out of my ears. Teddy, if you can hit a guy with two, why hit him with one? And, um, yeah. So, again, he didn't use the jab enough, Warrington. Uh, he had chances to do more counter-punching with Lopez, who was jumping in every once in a while, reaching in with his shots every once in a while. There was a head clash causing a cut on Lopez's eye, uh, from Warrington leaning in with his head when he punches. Warrington was pressing much of the fight, trying to stay inside of Lopez's power. He was very cognizant of that. And by leading in on the inside, Lopez very smartly began to use his uppercut to nail Warrington, and it was an important punch. It turned out to be an important punch in a fight. He landed it He landed pretty cleanly. He got a lead. Doing all of that, he got a pretty good lead over there in hostile territory. Uh, both guys should have gone to the body more, Ken, because they really affected each other whenever they did. But by just being busier, Lopez got, as I said, he got the lead in the fight. But like a real champion, Warrington behaved like one down the stretch, winning the 11th and 12th round, the championship rounds, pretty big. I thought it was either going to be a draw or Lopez was going to wind up winning, uh, you know, a close fight. Uh, it was a good, hard-fought fight. The judges did a good job. Majority decision. You know, I ripped the judges apart uh, like a raptor in Jurassic Park. You know, I get that <laughs> from watching it with my grandson. But I also praised them when they deserve the praise. So I'm doing some of that. The ninth round often is a pivotal round. The ninth round for me was that round. It's where the fight took a turn, where Warrington, who was behind, as I said, really started to come on because he was inspired and motivated by Lopez complaining to the referee about punches behind that, the head. Once Warrington saw Lopez starting to really you know, consistently complain about the punches behind the head. 
he took that as an opportunity, rightfully so, where he felt Lopez was maybe starting to deteriorate a little bit, you know, uh, from the pressure, uh, late in the fight, he was starting to unravel a little and show mental weakness. And he jumped on him. And that's really what got him jump-started, um, was just seeing that, you know, seeing that from from Lopez, and it got him into gear. Um, and then the next pivotal fight or round was the 10th because Warrington had it going his way after he saw the complaining of Lopez, took advantage. But then Lopez bit down and had a much better round, a close round, but a much better round just to kind of stem the tide. Uh, then a big round for Warrington that he needed, showing his, again, his championship experience and pedigree and heart. And then another good round in the 12th by Warrington that uh, that I thought, and I tweeted it, that it might have saved his title. But as it turned out, it was it was too far down, you know, he was too far down from the earlier rounds to catch up. So congratulations to the new champion, also to the old one, Warrington. They both fought well. And um, socket crumpets for our British fans over there. But, uh, you know, that happens. Yep, tough weekend. <clears throat> let's um, let's jump over to the U.S. Tiafimo Lopez in, in action against Sandor Martin. Martin's a tough customer. I think that uh, people were expecting. I think some people were expecting. Uh, difficult style, difficult yeah, style. Yeah. I think some people were expecting Lopez to uh, run him over and um, look good doing it, and it was just the opposite. I mean, the scorecards don't really don't really represent what happened. Um, two judges had it. One judge, 96-93 for Tiafimo, 97-92 Tiafimo, and one guy had it for Martin, 95-94. Um, super close fight, but more importantly was, I, I thought, was the reaction of Tiafimo after the um, fight. They have a candid moment where they catch him on camera looking at someone off camera and saying man do I still have it like I, I, I don't know like questioning if he still has what he had like the fight obviously against um against Loma he looked unbelievable and hasn't looked get the a same. new trainer Ken Ken get a new trainer and maybe you'll get an answer to that question yeah all I, right I, I, no no really I mean what, no, what do we do here we don't BS people I mean you like us you hate us you you but you listen to us for for a reason you're gonna get the truth. Does it mean I'm I'm always right? We're always right? No, but it means it's the truth as we know it, and as sometimes other people should know and don't see it right in front of them. Yeah, I. You know what, Teddy? I feel I don't want to come across like an armchair psychiatrist, but he seems like he's in crisis, man. I don't want to sound dramatic, but I heard his interview on. Um, but a Ariel good trainer Hawani. is a psychiatrist, of course. A good trainer is a psychiatrist, of course. But it seems like he needs a change of scenery. He needs some new people around him because he seems to be struggling uh, emotionally. Listen, again, I'm not trying that's to That's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. He's got a uh, obviously a connection, bond with his father. Yeah. And, you know, that's not going to happen. I mean, all you had to do was see. They went to the corner one round. They said, oh, we're going to see what, you know, his trainer, his father says to him in the corner. And his father didn't have nothing. Uh, the Actually, the fighter started telling the father what he had to do. The, the fighters started saying, I got to go low. I got to go low. You know, I got to go low. Uh, yeah, 
Uh, unfortunately, you're going low. You're going really low. You're going low in your career. Yep. You're regressing low to the subway. Yep. I mean. Uh, For a guy who held well, all the belts, Teddy, when they handed him that half-assed WBC, like, rinky-dink, Mickey Mouse-looking belt, I almost felt bad for him. Like, why do they even give that stupid belt to someone? I get it for someone who might come up. It's a nice little, you know, motivator or something to get to the top, but there's just so many belts. There's a well, belt for well, if everything. Well, if you listen to the commentary, you might think it was Jack Dempsey's belt, <laughs> but that's another, that's something else. Uh, listen, uh, let's get to the action. Do, what'd, you th what'd you think of the action? Can we fight? have any sincerity here? Can we have any honesty? Can we have any, can we get rid of some of the, Oh, whatever. Um, no, the last time we another, had honesty, listen, the last time we had honesty, the guy got kicked off the air, never to be seen again on the airwaves, at least for boxing. Teofimo Martin, another perfect example. I get right to where I think, you know, you need to get to. You know, go around all the other stuff. Um, there's a lot of stuff, but go around all of that. Get to the main crux of really the issue. Another perfect example and proof that if you're with the big promoter and you're the house fighter, it's no different than gambling in the casino. You ain't winning. You ain't winning. You're not beating the casino. You're not winning. Yep. They'll change the rules. They'll throw you off the table. <laughs> Whatever. You ain't winning. And um, you can't beat the house. I'm sorry. It's my freaking livelihood. 50 years. It's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Another example. Was it the worst decision ever? No. But was it a bad decision? Probably. But the what made it really bad was the one judge having that disparity of a of of a score where he had it so far. There's no way that that fight was that far apart. No way for either guy. Whoever you want to give it to, I'm not going to fight. Well, whoever you want to give it to, you want to give it to Lopez, you want to give it to Martin, go ahead, but not by that score. And let's not forget, nobody, they didn't talk about it much at all, of course, because they're protecting their guy. But I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Not only did he have to fight against the judges and the and network, because he ain't, you know, he, he's fighting their guy. But he had to fight against the ref. The referee didn't give him a knockdown. He scored a <laughs> knockdown early with a right hook, a counter right hook. He's the southpaw, uh, obviously, Martin. He scores with a right counter hook, Ken, on the top of the head, the side of the head. Nothing big, but it, it scored a knockdown. You know, Diofimo gets hurt on the side of the head. He got hurt against Cambosis. Cambosis, he got dropped. He got dropped here. And... He gets dropped early, first, second round, whatever it was. Then late in the fight, he gets dropped again. Same punch, same situation. And the judge, and nobody protects him. Nobody screams and says, hey, wait a minute, this is wrong. The referee doesn't give it to him. So there's two potential 10-8 rounds taken away from him. So it's not just the judges. The referee was... Complicit. What if round was that? that what round was, was that? Did he got the knockdown and they called it a slip? That was late. I don't remember what round. It was late. I mean, I don't know. It was a ten round fight, so maybe the seventh, eighth, ninth. I don't know. Because oh, I want to see if I want to see if in the round that he that he didn't score a knockdown. If Lopez won the round ten nine, and it could have been a ten eight swing the other way, how significant that would have been. At oh least yeah, on the, listen. Nine. Either way was significant, and either way. You really, again, there's a reason Teddy Atlas 
has to start another podcast the way it started, not talking about left hooks and right hands, but talking about judging. And I'm sick and tired of it, but you know what? As long as I'm in this seat, uh, and I think that it's the thing that has to be said, I'm going to freaking say it. Uh, somebody needs to say it. Uh, Martin cannot punt, break an egg, as we say in the business, as a puncher. Yet, as I said, he scored two knockdowns with the counter right hooks, you know, and again, catching him on the side of the head, which can be a vulnerable area. Um, although the, and again, uh, the referee, he just ignores it. Just ignores it. Um, refuses to call the knockdown. You know, like, uh, what is that song? Uh, it was a Bob Dylan, great song. Uh, he, he knows which way the wind's blowing. <laughs> I, I guess I guess they all know which way the wind's blowing. All of them. All of them. Uh, Ma- hey, listen. Martin is a one-trick pony. You come at him six inches, he goes back nine inches. And he looks to counter. He makes you miss, he looks to counter. All night long. And that was all he needed to befuddle Lopez for 10 rounds. Um, and the one trick that Martin needed and didn't have was to get, you know, as I just said, honest judges. But he never really had a chance, Martin, which is really what boxing is today. If you're fighting a promoter's fighter who makes money for the promoter, you can't win unless A, you win every round and you drop him about eight times. Or B, and B, you don't get disqualified. Uh, Lopez was physically the stronger fighter, but it doesn't matter because he has not been taught, Ken. And here's an important thing that has to be said. He's not been taught by his trainer, his father obviously, how to properly use such God-given abilities. Not only has Lopez not progressed, he's regressed. He does nothing. And and you're gonna think I'm being tough. No, I'm being honest. He if if he were a baseball player, he'd be back to hitting from the tee. Really? Really? I mean, I, I'm serious. He, he he showed nothing. He pushed his jab all night. He reaches into counters. If if anyone of any intelligence of this sport were in the corner. If I was in a corner, I think I have a little intelligence. I, I there's just one thing I needed to tell Lopez. One thing. Listen, all night long, every time you come in, he's not there. He steps out, he makes you miss. Faint. Faint. Act like you're coming in. Get him to make that step out prematurely. And then come in but behind the snapping, not a pushing jab. And get him. And close the gap and get him. After you make him prematurely make that move. Nobody told him that. There's nobody to tell him that. Who's going to tell him that? And more importantly, who's going to teach him that in the gym? Nobody. Nobody. This kid's alone. You talk about being alone in the ring? When you get in that ring, he's really alone. He's really alone. And you know what? There's a part of him that probably on some level, you touched on it, Ken. You got a good eye. On some level, there's a part of him that probably knows that, but he won't go against the father. He probably knows that he's in that kind of prison, if you will, that that kind of rocket ship downward, that he's in it. But 
but the the guy driving the rocket ship is his father, and and he's not gonna kick his father out of that seat. He's not. So he's gonna stay in that rocket ship till it crashes, or wherever the freak it goes. And and there's gotta be a part of him on an emotional level that's depressed over that. Intellectually, that he he has to know that on some level, and and know you know knowing that he's in a kamikaze flight, really. <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, have you ever seen another fighter seem to regress like this? Because I mean, the guy who beat Lomachenko was uh, looked unbelievable, and since then he's seemingly got gotten worse in every fight. When he knocked out Richard Comey, and then t- I mean, he was like, he was unbelievable, and now it just seems like he's average at best. And like you said, there's no real game plan. He's not doing anything dynamic. It's like he's doing like the very most basic of movements. Against non-basic Forgive me guys. right now. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do something very um, unforgiving. Something very uh, self-serving. Try not to do this too much, but somebody should go to my dynamic striking. God forgive me, but somebody should go to my dynamic. And I'm kidding, but I'm serious. Go to my dynamic striking videos and see what how you faint. See what you do in these situations. Somebody needs to, I mean, really, buy a book on it or something. Go get a video. Look at something because there ain't nobody in a gym teaching you. You got to learn it somewhere. I know, really? I know you say that in jest, but the truth is if people do go to Dynamic Strike and look at those videos, I've watched them all. They're unbelievable. It's an incredible tutorial to get the basics down. Like you can get the basics and all that. And then obviously if you want to take it to the next level, get in the gym with a qualified trainer. But those videos are an unbelievable lesson in Thank like you. the very basics. I, I look at them and then work with my kids. They love boxing. And, you know, I'm not looking for them to be Olympi- Olympians or professional boxers, but they love learning the basics. And there's enough there that you can learn it and teach someone else. It's uh, they're really good. Um, Besides the fate, Ken, yeah. he jab to the chest. Somebody tell him that. Hey, this guy's controlling you on the outside. That's his world. On the outside, he wants to live out there. Stabilize him. Jab to the chest. You won't miss so easily. And just to stabilize him, just stabilize him a little bit and snap your jab. Don't push it. You know, little things like that, common sense things, you know, go to the body, go to the body. He's using his legs to defeat you or to give you trouble, right? He's using his legs, stepping out, take air out of the towel. By the way, one of the commentators said that. I wonder where... I wonder where you heard that. (laughs) I was going to ask you if you called in with that or maybe you tweeted that. Take air out of the ties, but... Um, I also want to mention, because I, I think it should be mentioned, and I don't want to forget, uh, the great referee Mills Lane passed away. And, Ken, he was, for me, I judge these guys. I judge them as just an honest referee, a great referee, but an even greater man and human being. Uh, we, we could really use more of Mills Lane's today, period. Not in boxing, just in the world, to be honest. But I, I just want to say that, and again, if Martin was, uh, if Martin, here's the funny thing, if Martin was to have asked Lopez <laughs> before the fight, listen, buddy, do me a favor, this is what I want you to do to give me a better chance to, to win, <laughs> you know, he did it, 
And you know what he would have said? Told me he would have said, throw one punch at a time. Look for the right hand. You know, I'm a southpaw. You're going to try to land the right hand. Um, just look for the right hand. Just look for one big punch all night. You'll be doing me a favor. <laughs> It'll make my job a lot easier, you know, to navigate around you and to not worry about other things like a jab or a body punch. So, and and that's what happened. And uh, again, if you thought that maybe Lopez might get some proper advice in a corner, you'd have a better chance of finding a water fountain in the Mugabe Desert. <laughs> really. And I don't think there's any water fountains in the Mugabe Desert. Really. Uh, but the... The, you know what you're saying by There's the way Mo you're saying the Mojave Desert not to be referred, Mojave, not, not to be confused with no. African no, no. strongman Robert Mugabe well Robert, yeah Mugabe <laughs> was simple, a good puncher I'm teasing um, you he was a great puncher John Mugabe actually but um, no you're right I mean uh I've I've been to the Mojave Desert and the Mojave Desert, and the Mojave <laughs> Desert is is hotter, and there's definitely see the Mojave Desert. You might actually get a water fountain. The Mojave <laughs> Desert, no fun. But I tell you what, you could get, and you do get in any desert, Ken. You get a mirage. You get mirages, of something that you think is there and it's not really there. And you know what the mirage is? It's what I'm talking about. Really, I hate to say it again, but I got to say it. The Mirage is his father. I mean, he, he's like a prop. The only people that that give him any credence of existence are the producers of Mirages, ESPN, and their crew of writers, because they, they got writers on, you know, talking on the air. And, and talkers, I mean, the fighters know what they're talking about, but some of the, but they still go along with the howling for their meals because they know that their boss, which is Bob Arum, it's not ESPN, it's Bob Arum really, it's, it's both, but Bob Arum's their boss. They know that they got to make their boss happy. So they 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 got to, you know, they got to do their little, oh, <laughs> you know, little howling, you know, for their meals. And um, they're telling us how special Lopez is, you know, I mean, uh, or uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, they're, they're talking about how special he is. How they're talking about his father. Like, again, they're giving merit to a guy that really, uh, where's the merit? Where's the merit? Uh, you know, um, oh, boy. I, I, don't, I don't know about you guys out there, but. I can only be fed so much baloney before I, I want to throw up, you know? And some of these shows, you listen, you watch, your eyes are telling you one thing, and then the commentators are like singing praises and and then not telling you certain things that are going on. And I'm like saying to myself, is it me? Is it me? Is, is it just my television set that... You know, is hearing what I'm hearing? That these fans aren't hearing it? They like being given this constant menu, diet of bologna? <laughs> uh, you guys must walk around with alka in your freaking pockets. You must. <laughs> you must. 
Really, I, I after a while, I, it's like, I, I can't listen to this no more. Really. And again, the, the two fighters know what to think they're talking about with boxing acumen. There's no doubt about that. But how about, you know, how about with their other guys? How about every once in a while? If you're not going to give us the truth, because you can't, because your boss will, you, you don't want to upset your boss. If, I, all right, I, okay, I'll go along with it. But don't lie to us. You know, don't tell us we're seeing something great. You know, don't don't spend five minutes talking about Teofimo's nickname, the takeover. <laughs> when when really the it should be changed to uh do over. Right? Or, or or how about makeover? Because it's time for a makeover. That would be appropriate actually. Instead of the takeover, makeover. It's time for and then do a do one of those ESPN specials they do, you know, on the makeover of Teofimo Lopez. That'll fit right in. Yep. Perfect. You get, you know, you, you you get some eyeballs on that maybe. But I... Anyway, um, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, You got, I thought, again, not the worst decision I ever saw, but between the referee not giving him a knockdown and the one judge having it so far apart, I thought it was a fight that either Martin could have won by a point or two, or you give it to Lopez if you want for being, I guess, a little bit more, obviously more aggressive maybe a little busier, right? Because Martin's not a busy guy. You know, he's a he's a guy that tries to be an artist. You know, he doesn't want to waste much paint. You know, he he's, like I said, you come in six inches, he goes back eight. He's looking to counter. Uh, he's looking to be concise. He's not wasting anything. He's very deliberate with his, with his, with everything he does in the ring. He he's got a careful approach, uh, so well there are plenty of opportunities by not being busy that he gives a chance of Lopez. Even if Lopez is pushing a jab, even if he's reaching in for Lopez to control the tempo of of certain parts of the round, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll go along. Okay, you got me. I'll go along with that, but to. <laughs> To give the kind of score they gave, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to finish with this. Was is there anyone out there, honestly, including you, Ken? And I know you always be honest, but was there anybody out there that, at the end of ten rounds, a close fight, was there anyone at all, even minorly surprised? when the decision went to Lopez. Even a little surprised. Not even remotely. I would have bet 10 I mean, grand that this was that was Lopez's decision. Unless, unless Martin knocked him out, in which case he might have got a split decision. I don't think that there was any chance that Martin was coming out of there with a win. And you know when the shill machine shill, 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 
S-C-H-I-L-L. When the show machine was really magnified was in the 10th round when it was desperation time, or at least appeared like desperation time that, you know, maybe Lopez might be losing this fight. He got to do something. And well, he, he starts was pressing. was to one judge. Yeah, and he, and he starts pressing. He starts pressing. And all of a sudden, the, the commentator goes, I mean, I guess he answers the bell. Again, he does what he has to do, I guess. He amplified everything. Did anyone else notice that? <laughs> like, like, if, like if Martin came this close, for the people listening, they're not seeing it. I'm putting my hands about three inches apart. He, he comes this close to Landon, and it's like, whoa, whoa, that right hand, look at that right hand, whoa. Oh, I, I thought I was watching, <laughs> I thought I was watching a clip, a flashback of Joe Frazier in the 15th round <laughs> against Ali. <laughs> I got excited. I said, oh, this is good, because that was a crappy fight all night. All night long, it was a crappy fight. It was. It was a boring fight. It was a non-eventful fight. And now I got Frazier and Alley. Whoa! <laughs> I, I, I got lucky. I got lucky. I don't know where it came from, but you know what? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Um, Ken, uh, anyway. Well, earlier, uh, earlier on, I was referring to Robert Mugabe, the Zimbabwean dictator. You were referring to John uh, no, no, Muga John him. Mugabe. Sorry. I you think my brain, you got to remember, <laughs> my brain is calibrated only for fight. I know, but John so, Mugabe is so from Uganda, that, right. so he's also African no, strong. He's man. from Uganda, John Mugabe, yeah. Mickey Duff, the great Mickey Duff managed him. He fought the great Marvin Hagler. He he was like, at one point, he was like 22-0 and 0 with 22 knockouts. Yeah. It, man, he could, I mean, he could... He, like the old timers would say, and I loved old timers. He hit you on top of the head, fractured your ankle. <laughs> I mean, and but that shows you how great Hagler was, and yeah. how great Hagler's chin, how great Hagler's chin was. It was granite. Yeah. It was granite. And uh, but yeah, that was John Mugabe. I worked in the gym. I worked the pants with him at Gleason Gym years ago yeah. when he was coming up because Mickey Duff had asked me to work with him. Yeah. So um, I know how hard he punches. Believe me, I felt it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, that's a pretty thorough breakdown of Tiafimo's uh, latest outing. But let's jump into uh, another guy who can crack, speaking of John Mugabe, and that's the great Terrence Crawford, one of the best switch hitters in the sport. He looked awesome against David Avanesian, uh, pretty much what you would have expected from him. Six-round knockout, devastating knockout at the end. It was just basically six rounds, seemingly, of Terrence Crawford trying to get figure him out, looking for the combination to, looking for the, combination to the safe and then eventually just figuring him out and putting him to sleep, a vicious knockout. Terrence Crawford looked as good as he's ever looked. Um, I don't know if that says more about Crawford or, or about the opponent, but how'd you like that one? Listen, I start where it belongs. I'm happy for Crawford getting paid $10 million. Any fighter that risks himself the way that these fighters, and he in particular right now, we're talking about him, uh, in the ring, where they go in the ring and come out of it sometimes with less of themselves. Give him as much money as you can. Give him as much money as he can get. As much as he can get. He's a free agent now. He's out of the, the grips of Aram. And he's got $10 million. Beautiful. Beautiful. But that production, you know, he had to... He, you get your give. 
he had to give a little something. I'll tell you what he gave. He gave up having to be part of a really shoddy production. Yep. I mean, really. I mean, listening to some of these, the the two announcers for the fight, Paulie Malinacci, and I'm glad that someone gave him a shot to come back because what Showtime did to him and those bums over, I'm sorry, I get upset. But really, when people show no character, I, I get upset. They turned their back on Malinacci, yep. who's, a, who's a good guy. He was a former world champion and a good commentator. And super knowledgeable. And, um, I did a lot of his fights uh, on ESPN. And he kind of came along after I kind of left. And he he didn't get treated right by Showtime, what they did to him and those people there. They turned their back on him. So anyway, I'm glad he got a spot back. And Antonio Tarver, the former light heavyweight champ, he was working with him. They know what they're doing. Yep. But the rest of that broadcast, some of the people <laughs> they put on there, oh my God, Ken, Ken, it reminded me of a scene from Star Wars where they're in that interstellastic um, bar. The Misfit in, Bar. In outer, uh, what bar was it? The Misfit Bar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're in this like interstellar galaxy bar where there's all kinds of creatures and <laughs> characters from all different planets and solar systems, you know, uh, sitting at that bar. Um, oh, my goodness. I was like, this is, this is Star Wars. I mean, you know, that, that's what it, I mean, I, I want to see if I, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I made a note to myself to make sure. I mean, you had you had all different kinds of species and creatures in that bar from all different planets, and uh, I, I I felt like that's that was a scene from that. You know, it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, they were putting they were pulling up some people. I was like, oh my god, who put this together? Who thought of this idea? Who produced this thing? So, like I said, I think the God actual name Thomas of that, I think the actual name in the bar is called and Chewy. Chewy was in there. You remember Chewy? <laughs> yeah, it's the from, most. Remember Chewy? The most Eily Cantina. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we give you trivia. We give you everything over here, Ken. You get everything here. Everything. Do you remember uh, who was that? The actor was uh, was Harrison Ford, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and he he was in there with the Bigfoot guy, the Bigfoot monster, the hairy guy, yeah. uh, Chewy, Chewy, Chukawaka, whatever is Chewy, Chewy. I love Chewy. Ch you know, Chalmoon's Chal 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 Canteen in the city of Mos Eisley on the desert world of Tatoin. But the there name of the bar was Chalum. I got transported back. Chalum's Cantina. Yeah. <laughs> Spaceport well, Cantina. Were, yeah, it was a spaceport. That's exactly what we it got, looked like. They had one like I don't want oh to be I don't want to be critical of anyone. Oh, they had and, and the Pacquiao. The pa and then later <laughs> we'll talk about Pacquiao real quick. That cake. was oh my God, between oh, that was like another solar system. That solar system doesn't exist you yet. You know what the Pac the Pacquiao fight was? A, a drunk fraternity at like Ole Miss or Mississippi State putting on a boxing show. Those were the kids that were announcing. If, the if that guy, fight. if that guy who was doing the announcing in the Pacquiao <laughs> could could be smart enough to have any shame, he he'd never show his face again because what he 
he was saying, oh my God, you had a 44-year-old pilot, it was sad, and no muscle tone, sad, yeah. really sad. And to see this great fighter in that in a Jerry Springer freaking um, television show, <laughs> and and he, oh, I was embarrassed. I, I felt so bad, I, I wanted to cry. Yeah. I want to go take a shower afterwards. <laughs> and I'm watching, and and then the announcer is saying, oh, he's still got it. He he can still compete with the, with the best of them. He can still... What? Oh my God! Are you are, are you insane? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nobody uh, wants to get he wants to get a some, job that next week with the end sometimes with the next you gotta ask that simple show. question, Ken. <laughs> are you insane? Like just like that? Like you know you go, hey, listen, are you you know are are you a you know, you ask questions like, are you a vegetarian? Are you, uh, you know, you're not diabetic, are you? Because we want to make sure that you're always hungry. But this is like, are you insane? <laughs> that, I mean, he's saying these things and I'm like, oh my God, this this is all this is making this is like making that guy over at ESPN look like Howard Cosell. I mean, uh, <laughs> the great Howard Cosell, by the way. The great Howard Cosell, but listen. Back to Crawford. Uh, to, to yeah, back to 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 steal uh, to steal a coin phrase from uh, the great Howard Cosell, telling it like it is. Yep. Telling it over here, telling it like it is. So that and that fight, that was he got ten million dollars, and he got a workout, and he got rounds. He being Crawford. The great Crawford, my number one fighter in the world. Um, a lot of people say, oh, no, he should. he's number one for me for a lot of reasons. But he he had to deal with what I just said. There was a payback for that where he had to be part of a shoddy production, quite frankly. Really, and I, I, I felt bad for him. That he, you got to get paid, but you got to be part of this. So... He, they put him in with a, an opponent who was aggressive, gutsy. He tried. Uh, you know, Athanasian was trying his best. Uh, he had a game plan. It was to be aggressive, and it was to switch back and forth from lefty to righty, trying to keep Crawford off balance, trying to, you know, keep him from being set. It didn't work. You know, it's, it bought him some rounds. Crawford's not the fastest starter anyway. Early on, Crawford was doing what he, what he does, using his reach, his uh, controlling range, staying on the outside, using his legs, controlling range. He was pushing his jab. He got caught a little bit pushing it. He was using the jab more instead of snapping it the way he usually does. He was using it more as a range finder, you know, uh, trying to trying to just control distance and measure him. He was using it as a measuring stick a little bit. Uh, he got touched every once in a while to the credit of Avianician. Uh, well, there was one time when Crawford dropped his right hand to throw an uppercut and Avianician timed him with a left hand. Uh, very well done. There was other times if there's a flaw in Crawford and everyone has a flaw, he don't have much. You can sometimes catch him going back. You could step with him as he goes back. And again, to the credit of Avinishian, uh, he stepped with him, touched him a little bit going back. The one thing that, 
the one, the I guess the blow by blow guy, where I disagree. The the two color guys were good, and then the other guy's experience. But when he said Crawford's got to be a little more alert about you know Avianchian's power, he's not a puncher though. I I couldn't disagree more. I was like, what are you? talking about Avenizian's not a puncher he was saying you know one thing he has he's got power no he don't he's got heart he he came in shape he came with a fight plan uh the best fight plan you can have when you're overmatched you know what I mean Ken you're overmatched but but he had a fight plan the best that he could but he's not a puncher he, he's mostly an arm puncher but definitely not a, a I would never label the guy a puncher but anyway I regress. Um, I digress Sorry. and regress <laughs> and, and regret. I regret that I had to watch some of this stuff. Um, uh, you know, not Crawford because I, I have to call it. I have to talk about it. All of it. But and Crawford, you know, I love to watch him again. He controlled reins all night long. He was looking to land a big shot because he knew that he was going to get it sooner or later. He was controlling range. Looking to place a shot. Avenisian, the biggest difference between basic talent, of course, huge base, huge difference of talent. But aside from that, Avenisian was throwing punches and Crawford was placing them. That's the difference. That's that's what I would have said if I'm calling that fight. One guy's placing them, one guy's just chucking them for the most part. And he finally placed the right punch. Uh, he went to the body a little bit at the right time, Crawford. Uh, you know, he was putting rounds in the bank, not eventful, but he was getting closer and closer to what he wanted. He knew what he was doing. And then there was a moment that nobody talked about it and really disappointed. I mean, they, they a little bit because the referee did something, but the glove exploded. I think it was the fifth round. The glove freaking fell apart broke and the foam was coming out of it uh of crawford and i was like oh my god they gotta switch the gloves here i mean they should i mean that could be dangerous not only for the guy's hand but for the other fighter if the hand comes through and you hit him with a bad fist i couldn't believe I mean, that they let uh, the fight continue and that they, and they didn't they immediately go, switch the gloves why do you have a commission a commission is there to protect the fighters that was a great chance to act like a commission. <laughs> and they do nothing. Well, look, it's Nebraska. What do you expect? I mean, they got Cornhusker's football there, but as far as anything else other than Bud Crawford, no. No. So, I and mean, this is like, really, this is commission 101. The, uh, guys, the glove, the boxing glove that he's punching with is ripped open. 100%. You can see the stuffing coming out. Uh, don't so worry about do it, guys. Nothing. Give him one more round. The, well, I, I don't listen. If Crawford's people wanted to change, it would have been changed. Of course. Um, Avenatians, they probably didn't have a shot at getting what they wanted. But they didn't say anything anyway. But Crawford's people didn't say nothing because he had a rhythm going. He had a sweat going. He had a pace going. Exactly. And he didn't want to lose that. Yep. Because if you got to wait five, ten minutes to change the gloves, you get cold. At least. Now, I got to tell you, Ken. If I, there's a precedent for this. It's it's the Henry Cooper, years ago, Henry Cooper drops Ali. 
before Ali was Cassius Clay at the time. So it's before he won the title against Liston. He, Ken, he drops him with a left hook. Cooper could punch like hell for the British fans. That was another heavyweight that they love, the Brits, one of their favorites. So Henry drops him with a left hook, pull him back with his hands down with his chin up. And the bell saves Clay at the time. That was his name. And he goes back and he's got the greatest corner man, I think the greatest corner man maybe of all time, uh, corner man. And that was Angelo Dundee. Great corner man. So he goes back and he's hurt. And all of a sudden what happens? Dundee, mystically maybe, finds a hole in Clay's glove. Uh, maybe whatever. The legend has it. Maybe he created the hole. Maybe he enhanced the hole. We don't know. We're never going to know. But he finds a hole. Right away, he brings the ref over. Hey, we can't fight like this. There's a hole in the glove. Okay, we'll change the gloves. The, the commission always has to have two pairs of gloves just for a situation like this. You always have to have two pairs of gloves. So they change the glove. What happens? Clay obviously completely recuperates, <laughs> and he goes out there in the next couple of rounds, and he, and he, you know, and he punches the crap out of uh, Henry Cooper, uh, and cuts him up. Henry Henry had a problem cutting. Oh, you know, he had that kind of skin. So he cuts up Henry, he stops it on on cuts. Henry was a, a tough guy. So they stop it on cuts, so he wins the fight. And Ali goes on, you know, his journey to be world champion. Uh, Could have changed everything. Dundee might have saved Ali's career. Right there. He might have. We don't know, but he might have. But if I'm in the corner of Avenisian, and I know, obviously, things are against us, right? We don't have, you know, we're up against it. But I'm going to grab any chance I can, any opportunity I can to enhance our chances. That's my job. That's my job. So I'm immediately going to say, hey, 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 I'm going to grab the commission. I'm going to grab the ref. I'm not letting my guy fight anymore with this glove like this. you got to change it. And I'm hoping that, the 10 minutes or whatever it takes to change the gloves, that Crawford will get cold and it might it might put a new, it might change the dynamics of the fight. Teddy, it can, might. can you imagine it, if that glove rip was for uh, Tyson Fury and the horseshoe fell out of his shoe that the conspiracy theorists were convinced he was hitting Wilder with? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he didn't have no horseshoe. But, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's so uh, crazy. But yeah, you're right. But, um, they would have. It would have been like. Uh, it would have been like, like Sammy Sosa's bad breaking, and all all the Super Bowls popped out. Remember? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, sorry about that. I my kids were playing with the Super Bowls. They happened to get inside my back. Yeah, it was cork I don't know. or something, right? Uh, yeah, it was cork, yeah, but it was cork with Super Bowl, <laughs> Super Bowls uh, instead of uh, instead of whatever, but instead of wood. But the the point is that could have been an X factor right there. It could have been in a fight. Could have changed the whole course of the fight or potentially changed it at least. Yeah. I know it's still going to be awful hard for Crawford to lose. But uh, again, the corner, I don't, I would have, uh, I, I, they missed their moment maybe. They should have said, the commission shouldn't even have to put it on where necessarily the corner of Avenician had to be the ones. The commission should have immediately, the referee should have went over to the commission and said, hey, what are we doing here? We got to bust the glove. Okay, we got to switch it out. But anyway, 
It didn't get switched out. And in the sixth round, what happens? He he knew. He was starting to zero in on the uppercut, Crawford. He was landing uppercuts. Hey, it made sense. You got a shorter guy. You know, Crawford's got a great, great high IQ in the ring. So you got a guy, and his corner's a great corner, by the way. His trainers, they really are good. I don't give these compliments to, to too many in the game. They deserve it. They always have the right fight plan. I noticed that over the years. They always have the right fight plan for whoever they're fighting. Always. Uh, so anyway, Crawford sees that you got a shorter guy always coming forward, very predictable, one-dimensional. Start to throw the uppercut. He's going to lean into it. Sure enough. Then it changed a little bit. He was landing the uppercut earlier as Avenician was coming. Now he gets really comfortable and he says, you know what? I've been controlling the outside of my legs with my jab, keeping range, keeping distance, looking to counter punch all night. You know what? I got good eyes. He does. He has good vision. He really, he's got night goggles, uh, Crawford. He, he's like a hawk, you know, that, that a hawk's up in the sky and it sees a mouse in the grass <laughs> down below. Yeah. He, his, eyes, his eyes are like that, Ken. So he figures, okay, I'm I'm able to be calm in an uncalm environment, as I always talk about. I'm gonna sit down now. I'm gonna settle down right inside, right here in the in the eye of the storm, so to speak, in the pocket. I'm gonna settle down, get comfortable right here, and sit on a punch. I feel I can land. And sure enough, his instincts were right. He's got great instincts. He landed a dev, uh, well, a really good left uppercut from the southpaw position. He's Crawford might be the greatest switch hitter I've ever seen in boxing. Lefty or righty gets it done, like Mickey Mantle in baseball. Uh, Mantle was a great switch hitter, lefty or righty, with with both average and power. That's Crawford. Either Andre Ward was a good one too, but Crawford takes it to another level. And so from the southpaw position, which he seems to be fighting for more now than ever before, it seems like that's his place where he likes to be comfortable anyway he sits down a little bit settles down on the inside in the pocket and he throws a left uppercut picks up the head just enough just enough picks up the head of Avenician and bang chops it off with a short right hook <laughs> beautiful beautiful compact fast snappy short right hook uh it was it was beautiful well executed. Uh, it reminded me what I used to say when I was doing a fight plan back in ESPN. And I used to have my signature call, bang, bang. That's what it was. Bang, bang. And and it really was bang, bang. Uh, and he ended the night. He ended in that night for a game guy that came to fight, wasn't intimidated, tried his best, but he was so outgunned. He was, you know, they, they handpicked him to give Crawford, you know, a $10 million tune-up fight, basically, you know, to stay warm, to stay, uh, you know, to stay relevant, <laughs> to stay busy. Excuse me. <clears throat> yep. That's pretty much all we're going to say for that one. But, um, 
and then real quickly, we talked about it a little bit before, but uh, Manny Pacquiao in action against DKU. I've never heard of this guy before. I guess he's a maybe he's a, a martial artist of some sort, but um, it was a sideshow. It was a circus. It was I couldn't tell if Manny was like in on the goof or at the end he looked like he was throwing some some meaningful punches, but. I, I, I don't know. These things are very awkward. Same with Mayweather fights. I'm just like I'm not. I'm not interested at all. Um, I'm. I'm more interested in seeing uh, rough and rowdy on barstool sports. Honestly, it, like at least you know both the guys stinks. Not one guy's really good, and he's in there with. Uh, you know, someone who's just picked up the sport or is just clowning around and you don't know if it's like how much of this is real. So anyway, it's just sad to see Manny at this level. Um, but it was real. It was real in a way it could be real because he was hurting him. He was dropping him. Well, what was surreal in a very ugly way was all the surroundings of it. First of all, just to see Manny, the great Manny Pacquiao in that situation was very, very 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 sad uh it was it was dark just to see him in that place fighting for money and uh you know he he went through millions of dollars uh you blame him if you want go ahead he made millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars most people are never going to make that in a lifetime uh but he gave a lot of it away to his fellow citizens in the philippines a lot of poor people you know Gave, gave a lot of money to them. And he also spent a lot of money. It's a corrupt country. And he spent a lot of money to try to win the presidency because you need money over there to yeah. win the presidency. Same here. You know, and yeah, same thing. And, and he spent millions of his hard-earned money and he didn't win. He didn't win. So now he's doing a six-round, two million around exhibition with some I don't know what this guy was and and his muscle tone or his lack of muscle tone was the first thing that caught my eye that's not Manny Pacquiao I'm looking at him uh, with this this soft tissue body and I'm like that's not him that's not Manny Pacquiao that that's that's an imposter and and then he he's a great guy Manny he is and he's special a special guy like that should not be in that situation. He shouldn't. He, he, and like I said, I felt guilty watching it, being witness to it. But I know, I know that I got to talk about it. I, I, I know that I. This is you know my job, so I watched it. But I wasn't comfortable. I really wasn't. And hearing we talked about it enough, I know. But hearing the the commentary. And the, and I, I don't I was about to say the lies. I don't even know if this guy's cognizant of that he was lying. He, he's just so whacked out that he might have thought he was telling the truth that oh yeah, Maddie could still get in there and, and do damage to somebody in the sport. I mean, uh, uh, this is still Manny Pacquiao. What? What? <laughs> what? I mean, really? If they're going to let that guy continue to have commentary like that, you know what they got to do? They got to start doing CAT scans for these commentators before they get allowed to do a fight. Give them a CAT scan. Give them a CAT scan. See if there's anything, you know, lighten up up there. Really. Or at least go have a doctor go up to him before the fight and say, how many fingers I got up? <laughs> what do I got? Five, four, three, two, one. What, what do I got here? Really. So anyway, they... 
Manny, oh, God. You know the difference between him and Pacquiao? First of all, I don't think Pacquiao has to do this. He doesn't, uh, not Pacquiao, um, Mayweather. Mayweather. Mayweather don't have to do it. He's still rich. But he does it because if someone's going to give him 30 million, 20 million, you know, to go, uh, to, you know, jog around the park, he's going to do it. You know, he's going to do it. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. So the sad thing is Pacquiao might have to do this. That's number one. And Pacquiao's style's different. There's a lot of miles on that odometer. There's not a lot of miles on that car called Mayweather because he was such a great de- defensive fighter. He didn't get touched much. So there's no miles on him. It's like a car that's been sitting in a garage with a couple of older people. And, and you, you buy the car and you say, oh my God, it's only got 3,000 miles on it. Wow, it's like a brand new car. That's that's Mayweather. This car has four hundred thousand miles on it, <laughs> so yeah, it's a whole different ball game, and 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 the style's different. Where Pacquiao, if they put him in with anyone who's the wrong guy a little bit, he's gonna still get hit to get to him. Where Mayweather's, you're not gonna hit him for the you're not gonna hit him for the most part. So anyway, the whole thing. I mean, Maddie drops the guy like 22 times <laughs> and 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 the referee's just standing there helping him get up and and waiting for him to get up like you're not gonna stop this and then, and then, of course the commentators don't say oh my god what's going on here i mean uh, you know they they just they i don't know if they even noticed <laughs> they i don't even know if they know <laughs> they might not have noticed that pacquiao was dropping the guy like like a yo-yo you know, every round after the first few rounds. And the referee is refusing to give him a count. He's refusing <laughs> to call it off. And the poor guy, Ken, the poor guy was looking to quit. The guy was, like, getting hurt. And and he was looking to quit. He didn't want to go anymore. Oh, no quitting over here with that ref. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You're, you're gonna you're gonna sit there and you're gonna finish your meal. You're sitting there and you're finishing that <laughs> that dinner, son. And you're you're not leaving this ring until until I say so. And then they cut the round short. Oh, this uh, the whole thing was. Oh, I, I really, I, I it was. It was like Outer Limits. You remember, of course you remember the Twilight Zone, but do you remember the Outer Limits yep. where they would come on and say, don't touch your TV. It is not your tell. It is not in your control anymore. Do not try to touch the remote <laughs> because you are now in the Outer Limits. <laughs> well, that's what I felt like. Like, I'm in the Outer Limits over here. I can't touch my TV dial. I, the, 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 I just got to sit here and watch this craziness. Oh, anyway, um, he <laughs> I don't know what they called it. I guess it's an exhibition, so they don't call it anything. But uh, I hope they paid that other guy a little something because <laughs> he actually took a beat. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing it looked like might have been missing from Manny's camp this time around was possibly his athletic greens because if he had some athletic greens, he might have had a little bit better muscle tone. And shout out to our sponsor, 
Athletic Greens. They've been with us from the beginning. Uh, the all-in-one green drink. Take one scoop of this. Mix it in water in the morning. I shoot it down. It's easy. It tastes good. If you go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas, promo code atlas, you'll get five free travel packs plus a year's supply of vitamin D. Vitamin D is one of the vitamins that was very beneficial in, uh, in, in your body's uh, defense against COVID. Um, these guys have been with us from the beginning, as you all know. Teddy and I take this every single day. I'm getting ready to go to LA. I've got all my travel packs packed in my suitcase. The first thing I take, go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas. Get five free travel packs plus a one-year supply of vitamin D with Athletic Greens. Um, now let's talk UFC. Why don't, instead of, why don't you save to air fan, just run there? <laughs> I added up my miles, Teddy. By the end of this, by the end of the year, I'll have four thousand miles for the year, just over ten miles a day. That's great. Yep. You are the man. Well, you are the marathon man, the real marathon man. Yep. That's you. Well, let's get uh, let's get into the UFC. There was some good action this weekend. Um, you know, anytime the UFC puts on a pay per view card, the card tends to be stacked. Let's jump right into it. With do you think? Do you think the undercard of, and this is a, of course a rhetorical question, but do you think Ken that the undercards of UFC are a little bit better than the undercards of boxing? <laughs> Did you see that undercard on ESPN? Did you see? Forget about the undercard on the Crawford and the Pacquiao stuff. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know what that was. They had I mean, Chris Cyborg, uh, the U, the MMA fighter, fighting someone's mom or someone's aunt and just beating the brakes off her. It was like, who, who's making these fights? Are they just like, I think that they just put an ad out like, hey, if you're a female or identify as female and you weigh this much, you can come in here and fight Chris Cyborg. How much? Five grand. I'll take it. That's what it looked like. And no offense to the like woman, tough, but she Like in the old days. Like in the old days when they had tough man contests. Exactly. That, uh, you know, they, they just go into a bar and say, anybody want to make, you know, anybody want to make a hundred bucks tonight? Get in the ring. And, you know, they get in the ring. But, uh, the, uh, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for, like, the police to come in one day and just, like, start arresting people. You know, like, who, I mean, you asked me if the UFC's undercard compared to the ESPN card. Teddy. Rough and Rowdy was Friday night. As you know, the barstool spectacle from Providence, Rhode Island this time. Bobby Lang retains his heavyweight title against Pac-Man Jones. He actually beat the brakes off Pac-Man this time. They had a closer fight the first time around. That, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny, that Rough and Rowdy card was a hundred times more entertaining than the undercard of these ESPN shows, especially the ones that aren't on pay-per-view. I mean, in the pay-per-view fights, you might get a good co-main. You might. At least but they're the competitive. The I mean, be, there's nothing competitive. The rest there's of the competitive card will be, on these undercards with, it's a one, with the network. They're one-sided beatdowns. One guy's undefeated. The other guy's 12-3, and three, but he's fought like, you know, 12 people in like uh, you never heard of. It, it's The whole thing is I, there must be a, they must have a problem making money with these cards because the, the undercards are so terrible. It's like building up resumes of these younger guys fighting uh, – I don't want to disparage anyone. Just fighting fighters they shouldn't be in there with. You know who's going to win every single one of them. And nine times out of ten, you know who's going to win the main event as well. We might get like three or four a year that you're like, ooh, this is a 50-50 fight. I mean, wait, we'll see Elon Musk walking on Mars before we see Crawford and Spence in the ring together. The only one everyone's clamoring for. Um, but nevertheless, starts out. Let's jump in, into the main card with... Uh, 
Bryce Mitchell in against Ilya Taporia. Uh, it's funny, Bryce Mitchell. He's he's an interesting guy, like down south into hunting, very much a, a ultra conservative type guy. Uh, li- lives in a, uh, lives on a big patch of land. I think the last time he did an interview, he was in a, a mobile home on a um, on a piece of land. But he's like a real southern guy, outdoorsy hunty hunter type. And uh, talking a big game, he said he could beat anyone in the uh, he could win fight for the title right now and. Uh, Ilya Taporia from George, the, the country of Georgia just beat the brakes off him. Um, one-sided beating. Um, how'd you like that one? Yeah. Um, as you said, first of all, UFC knows how to put on an undercard. And uh, I I wish that boxing somehow would do the same, but they're never going to do the same. They know how. They don't want to because they use the undercard to for feeding time at the zoo for their young undefeated fighters to build them up. I mean, that's it. That's the bottom line. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. Those undercards that were on, and I'll leave it at this, I would rather watch Rocky 10, or, well, I don't know how many Rockies there are. Um, There's a lot of Rocky franchises. But I would rather watch that than some of those undercards. But as far as Topuria, um, he's so smart and deliberate. Uh, he used his right hand when they were striking when he saw that Mitchell, who was in the southpaw stance, could get hit with right hands. And he knows right hands land sometimes with southpaws. So Topuria immediately recognizes that and he starts landing the right hand. Uh, I thought that to that point, when Taporia was striking, that Mitchell would have served himself a lot better if he switched over to the orthodox stance, which you know he knows how to do, uh, to avoid the right hands. But he didn't. And right after I tweeted that, bang, he gets hit with a big right hand. Uh, all I can tell you is Topuria is a monster. He dominated striking, and also he went into Mitchell's environment on the ground, on a mat, and he did what he had to do. He, he looks like a star without, without some of the more glamorous details that some of these guys you know, have to go along with it. He's more of a blue-collar star, you know, like a Marvin Hagler you know, uh, who, you know, nothing too glitzy, you know, without all the bells and whistles attached. Um, and he's in a stacked division. So I, uh, he, he's a guy that's, like I said, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a problem. Yeah, one thing uh, that wasn't one of the fights we don't have on the uh, on the docket to discuss, but worth pointing out. I don't know if you saw the um, the last fight on the um, on the prelims. Uh, Raul Rosas Jr. from uh, Mexico, 18 years old, still in high school, moves to seven and zero, gets a uh, first round first round uh, submission with a neck crank against Jay Perrin. This kid, they're high on this kid. He looked good. He played the part. He uh, put on the Mexican sombrero afterwards. Just 
interesting uh interesting cat and uh a lot of buzz behind him but at at this age to be fighting in the ufc i mean you think about all the experience and and technique it it takes to be effective in the ufc not just get there but to win fights in the ufc everyone's good uh, says a lot about that kid at 18 years old but let's jump into the uh the next fight we wanted to talk on on the uh from the main card was darren till in with duplices from south africa um Darren Till unfortunately drops another one. He's uh he's on a bad run right now. Darren Till, he's uh let me see. I think he lost four of his last five. Let me just confirm. Yeah, that's kinda that, like Hook. He's kinda like that dad hooker who's on a bad run, you know? These yeah. are tough guys that they're fighting everybody. They're fighting the best guys. And and listen, they that they they're getting a little long in the tooth, if you will. They're they're getting a little shop worn. I mean, being in there with all these tough guys. And sometimes I think it was Hooker that got a little bit of a they gave they gave him a little bit of a break in his last fight. And that's kind of what almost what you know what Till needs maybe. Yeah, but Teddy, Till was eighteen oh and one until uh, September of 2018 when he lost by submission to Tyron Woodley. Since then, he then lost. He got knocked out by Masvidal. He got a split decision. Yeah, but look win. who he's fighting. I know, I know. He got a split decision win over Kelvin Gastel. Then he lost to Whitaker, Derek Brunson, and now Duplices. He's, Whitaker, uh, Whitaker's a monster. Yeah. Whitaker's a monster. <clears throat> but unfortunately, he's lost um, four of his last five fights. Um it's going to be tough to come back from that. But Derek Tills uh, seems like a, a good guy. He's a colorful character. Got a lot of fans. And after the fight, they caught him on a mic saying to uh, Bruce Buffer as he was leaving the ring <clears throat> that he tore his ACL. Now, I don't know if they mean if he if they meant he tore it um, in that fight or he came into it with a tear in his ACL, but he claims he tore his ACL. And, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, not a good fight for Darren. He got um, choked out. By um, by Duplices, how'd you like that one? Well, he actually got him with a neck crank, not a choke, but it was close enough. Yeah, I mean, extraordinary chin, first of all, and toughness by Till, who got trapped early in a terrible position uh, in the first round, taking oh, yeah. those short punches from Duplices. I mean, really, that was oh. Uh, he couldn't even defend himself. And the referee may have thought about stopping it, except Till, who's so damn, you know, courageous, like most of these guys, he kept he kept talking to the referee, <laughs> telling him, you know, that he was okay. So he survives, he comes back, he wins the second round, which was pretty, pretty amazing, really. It speaks to his resiliency, his character, his um, just his resolve. Um, and he made the fight either even or it was either even after two or advantage to Duplessis if the judge had scored the first round 10-8, which I don't know if he did, but it was that dominant. Um, and then, bam, Duplessis was, again, the the battle of geography. You know, uh, he, you know he, he, gets, he gets to where he needs to be um and and he winds up submitting till uh i think that's what it was right yeah he had him in neck crank he had him kind of in a rear naked choke but it wasn't quite under his neck but he was cranking on his neck but he already damaged him with tons of punches too yeah i mean he 
like you know again he gets the geography these fights so often as i always say about geography geography go to a you know go to a uh to a realtor and and you know it's all about location 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 uh that best serves you for the advantages you have the attributes you have physically and obviously obviously he got to that place and i'm i'm trying to find some other notes but i think I, that was it he ended it in a very very uh dominant sensational sort of way yeah um, very clear way yeah obviously well, that brings us to the uh, to the co-main. If you find the notes, we can come back and revisit. But in the co-main, uh, former guest of the show, Patty Pimblett, uh, to say he had an, uh, an eventful week would be an understatement. He uh, basically did a heel turn for all intents and purposes and went after Ariel, our friend Ariel Hawani, in a big way, basically. Um, apparently, he had asked Ariel to um, if he could come on the show while he was in New York. Ariel tried to coordinate it, and his manager, uh, Patty's manager informed him that they're only doing interviews if they're getting paid going forward, to which Ariel, long story short, declined. Well, then then um, Patty went, did his own podcast with Dana, and, and Dana and, and Ariel don't like each other. They haven't for a long time. Um, and Patty just attacked Ariel. I mean, really went after him in a big way. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, everyone loves Ariel Hawani. He's he's a very nice guy. I can't imagine what the beef would be. Even if he wanted to get paid, you tell him no and you move on. But um, nevertheless, Ariel then aired all the um, texts and all the exchanges they had. Just a, um, a strange move for, for Patty, kind of, um, I don't know, stirring up trouble where there wasn't any or didn't need to be any. But uh, then he did Then he did a uh, a, a, a a food review for Dana that Dana normally does, basically showing the world, like, hey, me and Dana are really close. It's almost like they're, the UFC is building him up to be, like, almost the next Conor McGregor. Fine. But, uh, you know, then they get in the ring and uh, super close decision. Listen, I think a lot of people are going crazy that Jared Gordon won convincingly. I thought it was super close. I thought Jared Gordon won. I thought maybe he got one in three, but I don't. I could have easily made a case for either guy winning. At least for me. I mean, I don't know. I think I think that like like a lot of topics here, when something starts to gain steam, it's like everyone jumps on the bandwagon. But I think if you watch it closely, I think you can make a case for either guy. Uh, I thought Gordon won by a thin margin, but I get where people are frustrated. It's um, but, you know, then again, having that close relationship with Dana, I think, you know, plays against him as well in the decision. And I think that's what adds to the kind of the feeding frenzy that we're seeing now with everyone being disturbed with the um, decision. But then for Patty to say after the fight that he convincingly won all three rounds um, doesn't help his cause either. And I think kind of feeding into that villain role, if you will, that it seems like he's playing. But uh Entertaining fight, nevertheless, and Patty Pimlet looked humongous in there with uh, Jarrett Gordon. He, I mean, he looked like at least a weight class higher than him, and uh, that's a skill in itself to be able to drain yourself that much and then rebound in 24 hours and come into the ring looking that big. So credit to uh, Patty for being able to get it done and um, controversial decision to say the least. I don't think, man, I think he's going to have a hard time as he continues to climb up the rankings here against some of these other guys. But how'd you like that one? What'd you think? I disagree with you. I'll tell you why. 
um, to a certain extent. I first of all, I I don't even know. You probably heard it clearer than me. And Patty said he won all three. I thought he said he won two rounds. He knew he was ahead after winning the first two rounds. And you know, well, it's just talk. I get it. That's what he you said know, in the ring. But at the at the post fight press conference, he then said, "No, I had now oh, I had yeah? a chance to think about it. I clearly won all three rounds." All right. Well, listen. What do you think he's going to say? I mean, <laughs> then again, he don't have to say that. He could. I'll but give you an example. We'll have an example in the next fight of someone who didn't take that row with yeah, Jan who didn't say that. that yeah, hundred percent. But listen, if that's what he believed, yeah, who are we to say what he believed? I agree. We, listen, not, I completely. We, agree. we don't know, but but where I disagree is with the big big who who ha la who pala whatever who ha ha about this being the worst decision. Are you kidding me? First of all, we had two much worse decisions that night. The one after that, you just touched on it, the one with uh, Blahovich, and the one potentially unboxing with Lopez and Martin. They they were much more controversial. For you're going to me now, a guy, and I've watched hundreds of horrendous bad decisions, hundreds, and this doesn't come close, close. And I don't care you bird brains out there that <laughs> that want to get crazy and say, oh, I'm nothing. I'm telling you what I know, what I feel, that you guys are making much ado about something that is not as controversial, not as blatant, not as erroneous, not, not as... Uh, bad, not not in any way touching on what you're suggesting with corruption or whatever you're suggesting as far as being an out-and-out Brinks robbery. Are, are you kidding me? I, again, you're talking to the wrong guy. I, I've seen too many that really are that. To call this the worst decision you ever saw, and a lot of you, again, a lot of you little bird brains out there, you called it the worst decision you ever saw. Really? Uh, Let me ask you a question. Uh, Is that really your judgment? And if it is, it is. Or you tainted and influenced a little bit, and I think you might be, and I hope you're not, but are you influenced a little bit by... Something that has been around as long as dinosaurs. You know, cockroaches and sharks have been around as long as dinosaurs. That's a long time. But there's something that's been around as long as all of those things, unfortunately. And you know what it's called? It's called hatred. Whether it's attached to jealousy, attached to this, attached to that, but it's called hate. We have too much hate out there. If I think some of you guys, I really, I got to tell you this, get carried away and get taken to a place beneath you because I think you, you're better than this or you should be better than this. That because you don't like somebody for, for their style, I, I understand it's your choice what style you, you don't like. Maybe you think he's Patty's got a silver spoon. That maybe he's a guy who's who's more granted more opportunity that he more privileged, and that the other guy's more of a blue collar guy that's got to do it the hard way. Uh, Gordon, that he's not given all these benefits, you know, of of privilege, if you will, of 
of being with the power, you know, of being uh, a guy that can make more money, that, that's more promotable. Uh, hey, I'm not going to argue with you that he is more promotable. I love Gordon. And he, he's, he's a solid son of a gun. But he's not going to make the money or have the potential to make it as Pimblet. Right or wrong? Right or wrong? And, you know, Pimblet is a guy that's got that X factor, the charisma, the, the, the ring presence, the ring getting in there uh, on the stage. And there's been great uh, entertainers besides the Beatles and and the Frank Sinatra and, you know, all these guys. But not all of them light up a stage. And they so they get paid on a on a different scale by how they can light up that stage. They all have talent, but how they can light up the stage. And they get help more. Yeah, a, a, a Asian's going to come along and help Sinatra and help Presley more than they're going to help the guy who might have a tremendous voice, but he doesn't have that X factor. And so Pimblet having that X factor, we can light up his stage and potentially make more, you know, dollars. That, that does give him a certain advantage in certain ways where are, are you going to, am I going to deny when I see a fighter and I'm waiting for the decision, and I know that you can make more money with that fighter that you just know that there's a better chance that fighter is maybe going to get the benefit in a close fight, that you feel it, you know it from experience. Am I going to lie to you? I don't lie. And lie to you and, and tell you I didn't, that wasn't in the air before they announced the Pimblet fight, that, that maybe there's that same feeling that... Pimblet will be favored a little bit because he is the guy with the X Factor. He is the guy that can light up the stage. He is the guy that can put more fannies in his seat. He is the guy that can go to a higher tax bracket. It is a business. Am I going to tell you that I that wasn't in my mind a little bit? No, I'm not going to tell you that. But I'm also not going to tell you that I thought that he didn't deserve to have his hand raised. I thought that the first round was very close. I thought that Gordon's a different kind of guy, more deliberate, you know, more calculating. And Pimblet, we had him on the air. We had him on our show after his first UFC fight. And I said to him, you better learn to keep that shit down. You got it up like a lantern in a storm. And somebody's gonna, the wrong guy's gonna hit it one day. Yeah, you got a great chin. But, you better do something not to make it so available because there is someone out there that can lay one on the chin that you won't be able to handle it the way you've been handling it someday. You should try to hide it a little bit. And he does have a flaw, Pimblet. He is still green. He's still developing where he does step straight back where you can catch him if you step with him and Gordon did that. You can catch him if you step with him. And that chin is a target. There's a target. There's a lot of target. He's a tall building sometimes. Sometimes being tall is an advantage if you know how to use it. Sometimes if the guy gets close into your range, it's a disadvantage because it's like a tall building that has windows to break. There, You can break the windows. And there's windows there. 
to break. Sometimes when Patty stands tall and pulls back tall with the chin up in the air. But he's also a guy that knows how to steal rounds. He knows how to out-hustle you. I thought that in that first round that it was very close. It was, I want to look at the notes to be really positive. Um, Close the scorecards? No, no, I just want to look at the notes I made to myself because in the first round, Gordon timed him with a really beautiful left counterhook as Patty walked in. And it was a close first round, as I said. And we shouldn't forget also that this was a step up in competition. So it was supposed to be. It was no shock that it was going to be a tougher fight for Patty. It was no shock. After the first round, it was very clear this was going to be no walk in the park. Very clear. If it wasn't clear before. And so, yeah, there was no doubt that he was going into the deep end of the pool in his fight. So he gets caught with that left hook. And the way that the round played out in that first round was Pimblett was busier, mixing in kicks and strikes, while Gordon was effective being more conservative and deliberate as I touched on earlier, that's his style, looking for the right spots. And he got Patty to the mat at the end of the round. All of that. So I'm laying it all out there. He did that. But I think in hindsight, the judges probably gave the round to Patty on just being busier and out hustling Gordon. I, I would think that that would have been their thinking to give that round to him if you give him that round. And like I said, it was very clear it wasn't going to be a cakewalk after that first round. Now the second round, Patty was now making a little adjustment, using, looking to use his superior reach and height to catch Gordon coming in. And he saw some chances to try to catch Gordon leaning in. The shorter man is sometimes vulnerable to the uppercut. So he started looking for that punch. And it was a good back and forth in that second round. Patty caught him at the end of his punches in that round, using his height, using that, you know, physical advantage. He was catching him at the end of his punches. Then Gordon... Caught him as he stepped back. As I said, you can catch him stepping back sometimes. Close round. But then here's the thing. There was a big flurry and finish at the end. And it won the second round for Patty. No doubt in my mind. The second round, I'm, I'm open to argument with you. I'm open to debate. I thought he, I thought he put it out for the reason I said. But not, no argument in the second round. That went to Patty. And the eye poke by Patty obviously didn't help Gordon. And and it might have influenced Gordon and convinced him in the last round to not do so much striking, which won the round for him. That's the funny thing about it. But 
I still can't believe that the UFC hasn't designed some sort of flexible flexible material in a glove to hold the fingers together to try to eliminate these eye pokes. But let's go to the third round, Ken. Now we get to the third round. Gordon changes the geography, and and he wins the round. He got in close. He used his grappling skills. He's a strong, smart guy on the inside, and he used those attributes very well. I couldn't really argue the fight going either way, or a draw, even though we don't get a lot of draws in the UFC. I had tweeted that I thought that you might get a split decision. Now, some numbnuts out there put up something that said, oh, Teddy don't even know what a split. Hey, idiot. I've been in the business a lot longer than you're ever going to dream of being in the business. I've seen more fights than you're ever going to see, numbnut. And I know the difference between split majority, unanimous decision. I, I know whether it's UFC or boxing, which is my forte. Yeah, I, I know the difference. What I was saying, nitwick, nitwit, what I was saying was that I could see a split decision. I could see that the judge is being split. It didn't turn out way. It turned out to be a unanimous decision, you know? So read what I'm saying instead of just reacting to it. I was saying, again, that if it's a split decision, I could see that. But it turned out to be that all three judges saw it the same way unanimously, and I agree with one point, whichever way you wanted to go. A one-point decision. I agree with that. So, if it's... And like I said, before the decision was made, did I feel like in boxing where the house fighter who can make the bigger money might get the edge? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I felt that. But I also felt like, A... He he could he could he won the fight if if they want to give it to him no problem they want to give it to Gordon fine but it was not again it was not the 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 theft of the century no you guys really and and again I'm gonna finish with this because to call it the worst decision ever please stop uh, uh, like I said it doesn't even compare to the hundreds of horrendous decisions I've seen uh, in my life uh, in boxing. And I just think that some of you people are out of control. And you sometimes you're thinking, and Portnoy touched on this in his tweet. And I'm not trying to defend Portnoy. <clears throat> he doesn't need me. But I agree with him. I think some of you are getting involved with your emotion, like I said even before. And with that emotion, that, like I said before, that's been around as, as long as the cockroaches. Hey, um, sometimes I think that it, you might not like the way somebody acts or in your mind, like I said earlier, that they're given a golden boy treatment where, you know, uh, a regular guy, if you will, like Gordon, has to earn it, you know, without that silver spoon. Well, let me tell you, in this business, everyone winds up earning it. First of all, does a guy like Patty get an advantage because he's got that X factor? Because he can uh, do what Conor McGregor did? and get the fans in that arena that some people can't get in because of that X factor, 
because of his promotional skills and his personality and his look. Yeah. Yeah, that will give him an advantage in those kind of ways. But at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of like that old joke in boxing, that, that old joke where the the they have a fight, in a club fight every week, and uh, one of the fight fans uh, turns to the priest because there's a priest that comes to all the fights, and they're watching the two guys get in the ring, and one guy goes down on his knees, crosses himself, looks up in the skies, and then he gets ready to fight. And the fight fan turns to the priest who's been watching fights his whole life and says, Father, does that really help? And the priest says, only if you can fight, son. So at the end of the day, Patty's got to be able to fight, you know. He and he, and he can fight, and but he stepped up. He stepped up to a higher level. He got tested. Yeah, yeah. You can see his his flaws. Yeah, you can see where he needs to tighten up if he's gonna. To your point, Ken, if he's gonna continue to be successful in this business. Yeah, he's going to have to tighten up his game, improve his game. He'll get the chance to do that. But to call this, and I want to finish because I think it's important. And it's and listen, it's your prerogative out there, guys, uh, to like or not like certain styles or personalities. I'm not trying to dissuade you from that. But you shouldn't allow that to grow into such hate that you can't look at things in a semi-balanced way. I get you're a fan. I get it. But as I said, it was a good, tough, close fight. But no Brinks robbery. You know, um, you look at, I, I really, th this takes place. When uh, people get, whether it's jealousy, whether it's thinking things, the world's unfair to certain people, and they allow that rage, that emotion, to interject itself into sporting events sometimes like this. And and you should be better than that. You should really try to be better than that. I remember where people hated Sugar Ray Leonard, the great Sugar Ray Leonard, because they thought they thought that he was privileged. Are you kidding me? They thought that he was the golden boy. He was. But he had that smile. He had this 7-Up commercial. Nobody else has 7-Up commercials. And he, you know, they felt, oh, this guy, you know, has got a silver spoon. He, he gets the benefits someone else don't get. He earned his benefits. He had to go in there and earn. Yeah, he was good looking. Yeah, he had a smile. Yeah, he was articulate. Yeah, that helped him. But the people didn't really like him. Because of that, they actually, they, they disliked him because of that. Uh, they, even because of his talent, they thought, oh, he has talent. He didn't have to work for it. He just has more talent than so on. Come on, don't be a bird brain, you know? And you know when people started liking Sugar Ray Leonard, one of my favorite fighters of all time? When he lost to Duran. Because then he fought the way where they felt more comfortable. They felt satisfied. They felt like, oh yeah, he's not just a talented guy. He's a fighter. He earned up. He earned our uh, respect now. Same thing with Oscar De La Hoya. 
I didn't think I'd be talking about Oscar De La Hoya today, but I think it's important. There were Mexican fans that hated him. You know why? This is a guy who won the gold medal. This is a guy who fought tough guys early on in his career, won all kinds of world titles. He was a hell of a fighter. They were Mexican fight because they didn't think he was Mexican enough. They didn't think he was Mexican enough. They didn't think he fought Mexican style enough. That he was, again, privileged, like doing it the easy way. The easy way. The easy way. Show me an easy way to do anything to be accomplished in this world at these levels. Please. Especially in a fight game. Are you kidding me? And until he beat Chavez, they didn't really give him his the Mexican love, if you will. Because he was uh he was a guy that girls were screaming at his fights. Yeah, he was a good looking guy. Yeah, he had some qualities that the great Caesar Chavez didn't have. And Chavez might have been the greatest Mexican fighter of all time, and there was a lot of great ones. But do you are you going to attack and hate and hold it against De La Hoya because he could make more money than Chavez could because of his personality, because of his good looks? Really? And I think part of that is going on with Pemberton. And, and, and it would go on, Pimblet, and it would go on through the annals of time. As long as you have this thing that's been around Longer than cockroaches. Hate, jealousy, those emotions. They really can screw good people up. They really can. So I felt I needed to say that. And um, at the end of the day, bottom line, Patty won. And like I said, he's fighting at a higher level and needs to continue to develop. And uh, hide his chin more. And I do love the fact that Pimblet has given back uh, with his charity foundation. Yeah. I wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, very good. That's a thorough analysis you're not going to get anywhere else. And before we get into the last uh, last fight on the card, Jan Blahovich and um, Ankalaev, I just want to give a shout-out to our um, official soda sponsor of the fight with Teddy Atlas. That's Olipop. Get it popping pop with Olipop. Um, I'm drinking today the uh, orange squeeze flavor. Teddy, only 5 grams of sugar compared with 39 grams of sugar from a, a full-fat Coke. Uh, this has prebiotics, botanicals, uh, plant fiber, which is really important. Two out of three Americans say they suffer from some form of gut issues. Olipop promotes uh, gut health, and it's a good, healthy alternative to sodas. I love drinking these as soon as I'm done working out. It's also something that I allow my children to have a couple nights a week after they're done with their own jujitsu practice. And uh, something we can feel good about where they're not getting a ton of sugar. But check them out at drinkollipop.com. Use the promo code ATLAS to save 25% on your first order. Again, drinkollipop.com. Use the promo code ATLAS for 25% off. Um, all right, Teddy, let's get it into it. It tastes very good. It tastes it's good, very right? Good. I love this stuff. I really do like it. I mean, I've been a big fan of them. I reached out to them and see if they wanted to advertise with us because I was a fan. So... There you have it, Olipop. Uh, all right, Teddy, everyone's dying to hear your thoughts on the main event at UFC 282 uh, on Saturday night. Jan Blahovich in with Ankalaev. Um, 
Man, two big guys getting after it. I know uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that no matter what you say here, we'll, we'll get some hate. But I thought that Blahovich won the first three rounds. They were close. I could, You could make a case maybe for the other guy, Uncle I, of getting them. But I thought he was up 3-2 heading into the last round. I thought that it was maybe 10-8 was appropriate for the last round, which is how one judge scored it. But nevertheless, it comes down to a draw. Um you know, Dana wasn't happy. No one was happy. And then Blahovich, you know, basically conceded that I don't, you know, I don't know if he was saying on Kalayev one. I think after he had time to reflect, I think I've seen something from him on social media saying that, um, you know, he thought that he, he didn't think he lost, but he didn't think he deserved the title. Nevertheless, and Ankalaev was incredibly upset. Uh, tears in his eyes basically said, doesn't know if he'll have a fight for the UFC again. Um, very controversial uh, fight. What'd you think? I give you credit, first of all, because I disagree with you sometimes. I agree with you sometimes, but I've—I mean this. I give you credit to have the, you know, to, to have the, the belief and stick to it, to come out there where it would have been probably easier to say today that you thought, uh, which a lot of people do, that Ankalaev should have won. For you to say, yeah, I, I thought Blahovitz won. Um, so I give you credit for that, sticking to your guns and, and putting it out there. Um, and I'm proud of that quality. So I felt, first of all, Blahovich, both these guys are monsters. Blahovich is strong as hell. So is Ankalaev, by the way. Strong as hell, but he's also really technically good, which right away, Rogan hit it on a button. Rogan said, you know, Blahovich is not just strong. He's very solid technically. He is, and he's so right. And I've said that before, but Ankalaev is too. Ankalaev is too. Here was the thing. Blahovich had a great fight plan. He was an underdog in his fight and for a reason, and he had a great fight plan. And it was very similar as it progressed in, and in front of us, it was very similar to our buddy. Thank God he's good. Excuse me. Thank God he's getting better. Dustin Poirier had a terrible staph infection. He was in the hospital uh, in his foot. And thank God those things are so serious. Ken, you know that. And you could use, you could literally die. And he was in the hospital for some days on IV. And he's better now. He's out of the hospital uh, again, it was a scary infection that he had from from a staph infection. Nothing to fool around with that stuff. Uh, the NFL was very serious. My son, all those years he was in the NFL, man, they used to they used to have to clean the facility five times a day to make sure there were no staph infections um, for people, you know, on the mats or you know uh, on the on the in, indoor turf or whatever, getting a little scratch in your knee, and next thing you know, you got a you got a serious situation going on. So anyway, thank God Dustin is better, and and we send out our thoughts to him. You know, just happy that he's better. But speaking of uh, Dustin Poirier, Teddy, here's a hat from Dustin Poirier, the Marvin Hagler uh, red war hat. He sent it to me, said, wear it at your next race. Thank you, Dustin. Wow, uh, that's great. Uh, that's the hat that uh, Hagler wore against Hearns. Yeah. And it was a war. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if anyone knows about war, it's Marvin Hagler and it's uh, Dustin Poirier. For sure. So the reason I bring up Dustin is because it, 
he used the same strategy as Blahovich in his rematch with Conor McGregor, kicking out the legs, destroying his legs. I mean, and Blahovich did the same thing. He set him out to basically make Ekolayev's legs into firewood. I mean, he he was chopping him down. He was chopping him. I was waiting for him to pick him up afterwards and take him to the fireplace and put him on fire. <laughs> I mean, that 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 was it was unreal the punishment and how tough is Ankoliev? Oh my God, how tough is that guy? Yeah. But Blahovich just busted up his legs. So great fight plan, the right fight plan. So. As I'm watching and tweeting with my great team, the first thing I tweet is strategic and dangerous fight in the first round. And that's what it was. Both guys knew what they were dealing with. Strategic and dangerous. It was like watching a bomb squad, you know, come in and those guys are, they're ready. They're ready. And they're, they're, they're very deliberate and very aware of what they got to do and don't pull out the wrong wire because if you screw with the wrong wire, you're blowing us up. And that's kind of how these guys made me think that they were going about their job, knowing the danger in front of them for both guys. So for me, the first round, and this is where it goes a little different from you, I give it to Ankoliev and the edge. And I use the word edge. Both guys, careful, deliberate, you know, making sure that the wrong wire doesn't get pulled and kaboom. But Hovitz had a, as I said, not only a great fight plan, but the discipline to execute it using those kicks, you know, to the legs. After two rounds, because of the kicking and the control that he was taking, he being Blahovich, in that second round, you know, executing that fight plan the way he was. Um, let me just see one thing here. I had it 1-1. One, one. So I give the second round to Blahovich. <coughs> and Blahovich was doing a great job striking on his feet. And his jab was a big part of it for me. I thought it was very effective, Ken, and when he used it. I thought he, that Blahovich should have used it more because it was so effective and accurate. And perhaps if he had used it more, then he would have had a better chance of keeping Ankoliev from taking him to the ground, which Ankoliev did, um, because he was losing the striking battle. So Ankoliev, again, more than just a strong guy, he's got a brain in his head. He, he said, I got to change the geography, the location of this fight. And... He was losing the striking battle, in my estimation. And obviously, as I said, he was having his legs chopped up like firewood. So he changed the geography. 
and he took Milhovich to the mat. And maybe, like I said, if the jab had been used more, maybe Blahovich could have avoided being taken to the mat. He could have changed range. He could have used the jab to keep Ankalaev from getting to, you know, where he wanted to get to, which was inside. When not able to get Blahovich to the ground, Ankalaev got close. He grabbed him. He squeezed him. So Blahovich could not kick his legs out. He wouldn't have room. In boxing, we see sometimes a guy with a big puncher decide to get close to the guy instead of far away. A lot of people say, oh, no, let's get far away from what could hurt you. No, because then he's got room to hurt you. Then he's got room to catch you at the end of it. But if you get close to it in the center, in the eye of the hurricane, you're safer. And that's exactly what Ekalayev did. He got in close and put his grip on Blahovich, so Blahovich couldn't have the room that he needed to kick out his legs. Ekalayev made the adjustment he needed to make. The last round, Blahovich had to stay on his feet. I thought that Ekalayev had taken control of the fight and that Blavovitz had to stay on his feet and maybe do some more punching and even take some risks now. That's, that's how I felt about it. He had to take some risks now to pull this fight out. I thought the fight got away from him a little bit. I thought because Egoliev had taken full control of the fight. We knew that Ankalaev had the physical tools, but in this fight, he was tested to see if he had the other stuff I talk about, the character, the mental toughness, the dog in him, as the young players and fighters you know, say nowadays. And he sure as hell had it. Ankalaev's the real deal in all ways and areas, just like Blahovich is, but he, he's... he's he does it in, in all ways, in all areas of a fighter. He's solid physically, technically, mentally. Bad decision, I felt. And we touched on it earlier. Listen, some of it's just emotion, raw emotion. But what a noble warrior. Most of them are. But what a noble, honest warrior. This Blahovich is. Really, to say I don't deserve that title. I mean, not too many men are going to say that. And again, I know it's raw emotion he just fought, but it was raw character too for, for him to react that way. I always say there's strength in many different ways and elements of dimensions in life. There's the strength, the physical strength, you know, of, of talent. Um, there's that strength. But there's the strength of character, the strength of being able to be honest when it's hard to be honest. There's a strength to that. There, there really is. The, because it takes strength to be honest when it's tempting not to be honest, when it's convenient not to be honest. There's a strength to that. Like I always said about Marvin Hagler when I did his, uh, I did a tribute to him on ESPN 
when he passed away. And I said, one of the greatest strengths of Hagler was that Tad Ye could punch. Ye was the greatest southpaw ever, maybe. Yeah, he could go get you and he could also box. Yeah, he had a chin uh, like, <laughs> like, like a boulder, like a granite boulder. But he was loyal. For all those years, he was loyal to the Petronelli brothers where everybody was telling him, leave them. You know, you shouldn't be with them. They're not doing the right job. And he said, it took strength. And I pointed that out. I said, the straight, greatest strength of the great Marvin Hagler was the strength of character. It's not easy to be loyal when it's inconvenient to be loyal or when it's unpopular to be loyal. It's not. And he was still loyal. That strength, that ability to make that choice under fire in that kind of way showed itself in the ring every time he got in the freaking ring. It was part of the greatness of Marvin Hagler. And I see the same thing with Blahovich. I really do. This former world champion. He's always going to be a champion. Always. Whether he's got a belt or not. Because of that character. Because of that attribute. Because of that quality. He will always be a champ. He will always be the, probably the strongest man in the room. In that way. In that true way. So, bad decision, like I said, uh, you know when your opponent says he didn't win or didn't deserve it, it, it gives you a little more of an inkling, even though it's emotion. I get it. But um, the thing that, when I heard the decision as a draw, I had to think for a second if I was watching MMA or boxing. And now I know being tough on boxing is a sport that I love, but you you just you almost got to the point in boxing where you expect to hear bad decisions, and that's that's wrong. Because then we accept something that should never be acceptable, something that's wrong. And that's what our, our fans, and this message is to the fans out there. Some of us now just shrug our shoulders like, yeah, it's boxing. It's boxing. But we shouldn't. We shouldn't accept that. We shouldn't accept that it's wrong. I know there's only so much you can do. Yeah, and sometimes you don't like a politician, you vote. You get rid of them. You don't like what's going on in certain areas? You, I don't know. You write, to your, you write letters to the network, to the congressman, to your assemblyman. You say something, and, and you don't watch. You vote. With your absence, not watching. And maybe somebody will wake up. Maybe, probably not. It's been going on a long time. But the first thing I thought was, I guess there's termites in MMA's house too. <laughs> UFC's house too. Not only in the boxing house. There's termites everywhere sometimes. Um, but the thing about boxing is you get too many of them. And like I said, it becomes not only too frequent, too acceptable. It's boxing. What do you expect? I expect better for these guys that risk so much. And um, so, because in boxing, it's every week. I mean, it really is. It's, it's like having orange juice in the morning. You know, it becomes a common thing. But 
the final thing that really struck me was how sad it was seeing Ankel Ayev, a big, strong, tough man who's fighting to change his life and his family's. And this is something that the, I think that the judges that do give bad decisions too regularly, they should be forced to watch this. Yeah, I'd put him in a room and make him watch this. I really would. Where you got a big, tough man who's fighting to change his life and his family's, and you have to watch him on camera, go back to the dressing room crying. It took me back to the Olympics when I was the commentator for NBC, and I watched day in and day out fighters who had their lifelong dreams ripped away by corrupt judging. Yeah, corrupt judging. Matter of fact, Ken, after I made that stance and I got fired from the job for doing it, it's okay. <laughs> I didn't get invited back. It's all right. I did four Olympics, who was great, with the great Dick Ebersole, uh, who was great at NBC. The guy after him was not so great. But uh, he wasn't a man. But Ebersole was. And so it was a great experience for me. And I, I wouldn't give it up for anything. But when I exposed, me and my partner, Papa, exposed the corruption it took years, and it finally came. They did an investigation, and sure enough, sure enough, a few months ago, you you read about it. You even said something to me about it, and a lot of people did. A lot of good people said, Teddy, it's a little late to give vindication for what you did, but at least it came. I didn't need it. I knew what I was doing, why I was doing it anyway. I, I did, but they finally investigated, and they said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. They got people to talk, you know, sooner or later somebody talks and say, oh yeah, I was corrupted. Oh yeah, I was paid. Oh yeah, I was taken care of. Oh yeah, the Aiba was, was, was complicit in robbing and, and the judges were complicit in this scheme to give medals to certain countries. Yeah, but it brought me back to a tough time where I remember watching these fighters that trained their whole life to have a chance at Olympic glory. And they're getting robbed by these bums that never took a risk in their life, these bums that used to dress up and march in there like they were elite with white <laughs> uniforms, like, like, like there was something honorable about them. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Where they should have marched was right outside into a Department of Correction bus. <laughs> And I said that on the air. That might be part of the reason why I, I wasn't invited back. Probably a little bit of it. But to watch these fighters, these, these, these kids that give everything and give up a big part of their life to train for the Olympics. They didn't go to the prom. <laughs> they, didn't, they, they didn't do things that other kids did as, as in their youth. They were in the gym training for the Olympics. And then to see these dreams ripped away by these corrupt bums and for them to literally, one after another, I was watching them fall on the ring, fall inside the ring and start crying. Just crying. Oh my God. Watching Ankoliev walk back brought me back to that bad time. It brought me back to those kids crying. And to see a grown, tough man, as I just said, 
crying. It really, it really hurt me. It, it bothered me, and it, enough to to spend this time talking about it, and to say we got to do a better job with the judging. I'm not saying that's the worst of the worst. There's much worse in boxing. There's been much worse. I, I'm just saying, if if we get one bad decision, bad, really bad decision, it's one too many. Yep. It's one too many. We got to correct it. If it's corruption, get rid of the corruption. Really. If it's the system, then then teach these trainers, teach these judges better what the criterion is. Better teach them. School them better. Train them better. Send them to, to training, you know, to seminars, whatever it takes. But don't accept it. Don't accept it. Because when we do that, we've given in to something we should never give in to. Something that's wrong. Anyway, that's my piece. That's it, Teddy. Well, that's a thorough breakdown of a ton of action from this weekend. Thanks to everyone for being with us. Stay tuned next week. We've got some big things coming up sometime in the next couple of weeks. We've got an awesome interview with Stephen A. Smith from ESPN, so you'll definitely want to be uh, tuned in for my that. My man, my man, my man. And with Stephen that, Teddy, have a great week. Thanks to everyone for being with us, and we'll see you next week.